man, I don't even know. I'm like, what have we been doing this week? This quality podcast audio. <laughs> quality content brought to you by CXMH. You can edit all of this out. You're listening to the CXMH Podcast. CXMH is a podcast at the intersection of faith and mental health. Hey, welcome back to the show. My name is Robert Moore, and I'm one of your hosts. And I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Dr. Holly Oxhandler. Holly, how are you doing today? Hey, Hey, Robert. I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing? Good. You didn't, I feel like my dramatic uh, end of sentence threw you off. It's... <laughs> yeah, it did. I was like wanting to jump in there to start responding like, oh, here here comes the question. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, but you're, but doing, are... you're doing all right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, for sure. I good. am. Good. Yeah. What about yeah. you guys? How are you? Good. I am melting a little bit right now. I'm turning oh, into yeah. liquid. It's uh, a little hot in the offices where I am right now, but that's okay. We're, you know, I've been told that somebody is fixing something or other somewhere. So, but that's mm -hmm. okay. That's okay. Mm -hmm. It's, you know what? It's worth it to talk to you. Oh gosh, friend. You're just so, so kind. <laughs> what if I meant the plural you as in the audience? The... Uh, well then, you know, never mind. Yeah. Well, no, that's good. So y'all had a birthday in your home this last week. We we did. It was uh, <laughs> it was our dog Knox's birthday. He turned seven. Oh, so, happy birthday, Knox! Yeah, yeah. He didn't do anything. I don't think. No, it, actually, what's really funny is that it's a little weird. We didn't do anything. But what has happened in previous years is. So my family will try to get together, you know, every couple weeks or month or, you know, whatever it is for like dinner, like mm -hmm. uh, Brooke and I and then my parents and then my brother and his wife. And so what like a couple years in a row has ended up happening is it's been like the week of Knox's birthday. So we've had like, quote unquote, uh -huh. a Knox birthday party, but really it was just we were like getting together to have tacos or whatever. Uh, uh -huh. So we didn't this year just because <laughs> it didn't like, uh, you know. And so I actually was like, oh, we didn't like do anything, but we, I mean, it's never been like put a hat on him or what, you know, it's never been like yeah. a birthday party, but it's kind of just like a, which is totally bag. cool. If y'all were to do that, there would be no shame in that. Cause yeah. I know people who do that and I think that's amazing. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. But no, no that's good. Just did, you know, celebrated, I guess we uh, not really, we just did our thing. Yeah, just yeah. just gave him a, little, a few extra hugs that day. Loved yeah. on him a little. That's good. Yeah. So. Oh. <laughs> that's so funny that you like remembered that, and uh, that's great. Oh yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, but I mean, I know you and I have talked about Knox before, and I know he's like truly a member of y'all's family. So I, t I mean, I, you know, I would fully expect that y'all would kind of recognize it. But you also were blasting it on social media too. So I did two Instagram <laughs> stories and that was it. You settled down. That. <laughs> last listen, last year I did a whole thing, like a whole slideshow of Instagram <laughs> stories. So I don't think you can define this year as blasting. Oh, I remember that last year. Well, I think two posts count as anyways. Whatever, Holly. How are your kids? Are they fine? They're good. They're good. Yeah, they're good. Um, I'm trying to think. 
So last week, I um, if our listeners you know follow each of the weeks, last week I was not on the podcast because I was out of town for a writing retreat. So yeah. you, you uh, weren't on the intro, the actual episode I wasn't on. You were on because oh, yes, it was right, an old, right, yeah, yes. yeah, but yeah, that's right. So if you didn't get to listen to last week's episode, please go back. It was a great conversation with my friend Story Cook on addiction and recovery services within congregations, but. I didn't do the intro because we were juggling schedules and I was going out of town. And so, yeah, so this last weekend I got to go to a retreat center about an hour outside of Waco and it was designed to be like a writing retreat for, you know, for faculty to just go and work on whatever writing projects they're doing at that time. Yeah. So I went to focus on writing this book chapter that I'm doing, but um, but it was so nice because there was a labyrinth there and, you know, there was this nice like conference center that was quiet for us to be able to have this quiet space to write. And there was still space for um, practicing that stillness, stillness and solitude and silence. So that was really good. But um, it was just a nice blend. So I got to spend a lot of extra time with the kids before I left. And I've gotten to spend a whole bunch of extra time with them since coming home, but for a few days. Yeah. Out for that. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. When so. when can we read this book chapter? No, I don't I don't know. This um it's not my book, so that's for a whole other day, that conversation. Mm. But stay tuned. Yeah. I mean everyone I set know. your set your Google alerts for <laughs> Holly Octandler. You'll get emails. No. Yeah. No, no, no. But it was a lot of fun because I haven't written a book chapter for a textbook before. And so what, what I loved about it is I got to be a little bit more creative in my writing, whereas mm. my research articles are usually pretty structured. Yeah. Um, this was kind of fun. So. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. It's, it's so, for sure, somebody listening just thought like, how did you say uh, writing a textbook and fun in the same in the and same creative. thing? But, yeah, I know. Yeah, yep. that's awesome. Mm. Well, let's talk about yes. this episode. Yes, please. Yeah. Why don't you? Do you want to tell our listeners about it? Yeah, we got the chance to talk with Danielle Matthew, who uh, does a lot of research and teaching and counseling around the area of bullying. Right. So she's written a book uh, that I've read about uh, bullying, and then she runs uh, a uh, an organization that helps do speaking and consulting and she actually does like consulting for mental health professionals or I think essentially anyone that wants to learn mm -hmm. more about their situation and things like that and so uh, we got to talk to her about bullying which is I feel like it's one of those topics that floats around a lot and it feels like we're like always talking about these things but that we don't mm -hmm. ever actually like drill down into of hey what are we actually talking about here right it's kind of you know I don't know, it falls in that space in my head of like vague things that are kind of always around in pop culture type thing, but that really to have a whole conversation about maybe is not the norm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, it totally does. And I think you're right. You know, it can be kind of a vague topic, but she did such a good job with bringing it down to, you know, breaking down and explaining what these definitions are for these various terms and then unpacking some tangible things for us to be looking for in kiddos, um, things that we can be doing. And then we shifted and, and talked not just about kids and parents and teachers and, you know, schools, but, but also thinking about young adults and what bullying looks like uh, as we age. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that was really interesting. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. Well, should we shift? Shall we? Shall we? Let's Shall we? <laughs> yes. Get the. I'm gonna have my butler Jeeves come in and shift us into the uh, 
shall we shift into the episode? So he's going to come in and push the button, and then it's going to make the noise, and then we'll go. All right. Jeeves, hit it. <laughs> hey, today we are so excited to be joined by Danielle Matthew. She is a licensed marriage and family therapist whose lifelong mission is to treat and support bully victims and their families, aid schools and health and wellness professionals, and educate others about the bullying epidemic. Danielle has worked as a clinician in the field for over 20 years with children and adolescents in various environments, including day treatment programs, residential facilities, and outpatient services. She's supervised a therapeutic one-on-one behavioral program, facilitated therapy groups, and conducted clinical authorizations for an insurance provider. Additionally, she has conducted group and individual therapy with adults. She currently treats bully victims in the greater Los Angeles area and is available for consultations and speaking engagements nationwide. Uh, She's the founder of The Empowerment Space and the author of The Empowered Child, How to Help Your Child Cope, Communicate, and Conquer Bullying. Danielle, how are you doing today? Great. Thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. For taking the time to be with us. Before we kind of get into any of the, the questions we have for you, is there anything else that you want to share with our audience about yourself or, or anything like that? Um, maybe just how I got started in this, because it's kind of an interesting, fun story. Yeah. Um, so I yeah. was working for an insurance company when um, I would do authorizations all over our country or our, our states in terms of asking for why kids are coming into an inpatient unit, what their clinical symptoms are. And what I was finding across our country was that kids were coming in for bullying. And a lot of times they had threats to harm themselves. They Sometimes they attempted suicide. And sometimes the parents would not even know about it until they actually were in an inpatient unit. And because I would be on the child adolescent team and have to make phone calls to parents to talk about it. So I really started to see that we have a real problem with bullying in an epidemic. And so I hired an independent uh, consulting company to do uh, consulting around our area of greater Los Angeles to say, what do we have in our communities right now for bullying? Because we have a lot of different prevention programs in schools. Everybody does a different thing. Not everyone uses the same kind of prevention program. But what do we have to help support our communities with victims of bullying, our educators, our families? How do we have something in the community that's really important? And they took three months. They did survey monkeys, talked to professionals in the area, therapists, educators, and they came back to me with a little uh, folder of information and said, we have good news and we have bad news. (laughs) They said, the good news is you have no competition. The bad news is you don't have competition. So why is that? Why don't we have competition in our community of greater Los Angeles where there's more programs in the community to address bullying? So they said to me, why don't you go ahead and write a program, and if you want to come back to us for nonprofit status, we'll help you with that process. So I spent the next year writing the empowerment space with the developmental psychologist, and we made it evidence-based practice, and from that came the empowerment space and getting it into the community, Um, and from there, I was told to write a book because I loved speaking and enjoyed that process. And so I took one of the weeks of my program, and that's how I turned it into the Empowered Child. Yeah. And here I am now. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. That's good. Yeah, Yeah. that's good. It is so interesting because it seems like bullying is a topic that we hear a lot of talk about and around, right? Like it does seem like Uh this thing that people are aware of, 
But maybe mm-hmm. I guess what you're saying is at least in your area, not a lot of people were saying here's kind of the functional steps on on what we do about this. Yeah, that's right. And it was so interesting because when I go in and speak at schools, some schools are wonderful in having like every step possible of how they address bullying. Step one, we do this. Step two, we do this. You know, and it's really clear cut. So parents understand how the culture works for that school. But as a community, as a whole, we don't have a lot of programs to really specifically address bullying in the community. Mm, yeah. That's good. Yeah, no, that's good. And it's good that not only that you, you know, had done that work to identify that um, the need existed, but but to see how you've stepped into this role to address that need, I think is fantastic. That's so good. Well, we certainly talk about bullying and a lot of different things come to mind when we think about that word and what it means. And it probably varies from person to person on mm-hmm. how we interpret it. Um, so can you start by defining bullying and mm-hmm. talking about some of the different ways in which it happens or we see it emerge? Yes. So bullying really is what I tend to remember about it is always someone has power over somebody else repeatedly. That's the really important part is it's repeated. It's not a one-time thing that happens between two kids. That would be considered a conflict resolution. But bullying is a repeated Mm. behavior one day after the other, one grade to the next, where someone has power over somebody else. And so that's really the difference. I want to also talk about, I hope you don't mind while we're talking about definitions of bullying, when bullying is also roasting. Mm. That is another big thing going on right now. So that's why I bring it into this conversation. Because roasting, as I always knew it growing up, was, oh, it's your parents' anniversary party. Someone's going to get up that's a good friend or family member of your parents and going to give and roast them, right? And say all (laughs) funny things about them. Yes. it's, it's actually become more of a situation now where it can become bullying. It's mm. not always bullying, but it can when they continue to make jokes and comments about someone having power over them. That's when it can become bullying. And I'm starting to see this in elementary school now. I'm getting calls about roasting and how it's being used as bullying. So I just wanted to make that definition clear of the differences because we are seeing a lot of roasting happening right now as bullying. And that that idea of the power element is mm-hmm. interesting. Uh, that makes sense to me because what you're talking about is kind of this like Comedy Central model, right? Where people are equals, and so they're picking on each other kind of from a fun place. But in in bullying type situations, it sounds like you know, oh, I have uh, social power over you, or physical power, or you know, yeah. these various types of power. So it's not like well, we're just two friends joking around, which is sometimes maybe even the kind of the the cop out you hear is like, well, they're just joking, mm-hmm. but if mm-hmm. kind of you're, you, there's a, a power differential in any sense, then maybe that, mm-hmm. that plays into it. Yeah, if there is a huge power differential in that, and it's not funny anymore, and it's not a joke anymore, whether it's different types of bullying. And when I was a kid, I could come home and rest from it hmm. because we didn't have social media back in many, many years oh, ago man. in my age. Yeah. So can you imagine now how the kids feel with social media? They can't get away from bullying when it happens, and it's all over their their media sites constantly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Are there differences? Because you mentioned there, even now seeing some in elementary school, uh, I would imagine mm-hmm. a lot of people kind of picture children when we're talking about this, but are, are there differences in the ways that bullying typically uh, happens or what it looks like in different ages or different stages mm-hmm. or things like that that, that you see? 
Yes. So, I mean, obviously there's four types of bullying we know about. We know there's the physical bullying where you can see someone physically hurt someone else and it's easy to find. Then we have verbal bullying, which is calling people names or making mean comments. Again, we hear those things, right? Or we see those things. But then if we have relational aggression or bullying, that's where it gets really complicated because we cannot see that kind of bullying. That is gossiping, talking behind someone's back. Even on social media, relational bullying becomes big where someone will be left out of a, a chat room and be talked about without their knowledge or be left out of activities and left mm. out of text messages or actually taking a photo of a private message and putting that in a Snapchat. So there's a lot of kinds of um, cyber, or, or I should say relational bullying, but cyber is also doing this on social media sites and making these mean comments about them. So I see a lot of, to answer your question, a lot of cyber and a lot of um, internet bullying or cyber bullying and uh, relational. And that's really in the middle and the high schools. And I'm also starting to see some of the more the physical, the verbal, the younger they are. But I have to tell you, even in the younger grades now, I'm still seeing a lot of this, the cyber and the relational bullying get more and more intense. Sure, yeah. As as younger and younger, we get used to technology. Gosh, that's or just, that's so painful and, you know, yeah. and so hard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. what are some signs? Obviously, you mentioned there, like physical bullying, you could see happen if you're there, if you're present, right? But uh, mm-hmm. what are maybe some signs if I'm a parent or uh, I know yes. we have people that work in youth ministry that listen to the show or, or uh, clinicians mm-hmm. and someone comes in. Mm-hmm. What are some maybe signs or things that I would say like, hey, look out for these things to, to help notice? So what I see a lot of is a change in grades, uh, their grades in school. That's one of the first things to change is their grades. And I always look at a pattern of behavior for any of these signs or symptoms I'm going to talk about. It's if you see a pattern, it's not like a one-time thing when we see this. Sometimes there's a change in their mood, more depression, more anxiety, social isolation, not having friends come home that used to hang out at the house all the time. Because it happens within a, in a dime, like it can drop really quick where the, their best friends one day, literally the next day, they're no longer friends and they're getting the cold shoulder at school. And so it can be a lot of depression, a lot of anxiety, school refusal, making up excuses not to go to school, uh, sleeping more and a decline in grades. I would say those are some of the main ones that parents can look at if there's a pattern of those things happening. Mm, yeah, well, that's really good. Um, and those are tangible, right? There are things that we actually can be seeing over time. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's helpful, especially, you know, yeah, so that's good. So part of knowing what some of those signs to be looking for means that we have to be aware of the fact that the children that are being bullied, again, might not only might some of those things be that there it's harder to see or pick up on some of mm-hmm. those those things that you mentioned before but mm-hmm. also kids might not be telling someone about what's happening mm-hmm. um and so that's really important for us to be thinking about but but why is that why is it that they're not talking about it or yeah Um, They're not talking about it because they want to handle it themselves and they don't want to involve their parents and they want to save face. And sometimes what I hear is that they think bullying is just a rite of passage and something they have to deal with. And I really get clear that that's not the case. But a lot of times they worry. They don't want their parents to worry about them. They don't want their parents to be upset. So they don't say anything until it's gotten usually pretty bad before a parent will usually know about it. Sometimes earlier, but that's more on the rarer side, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe not 
even knowing kind of how the parents are going to react. So maybe not even just them being upset, yeah. but I think we'll get into some of this maybe even later, but what the parents then are going to do with that yes. information. Yeah, right. Yes, that's a great piece. And if you want, I can certainly go on to that because when parents find out, I wrote this very clearly in my book, there is a reactivity level, rightfully so, that they're very upset when this happens. I get it. It's a very triggering topic. They don't want their child hurt. It makes mm. so much sense to me. But at the same time, when they approach their child to address the bullying, you want to come from the most calm place that you can. If you just had a fight with their father or you had a fight with your boss at work or a friend and you're highly triggered more than normal, it may not be the best time to have this discussion. And you might want to wait till you're in a calmer place because when you talk to them, you want to be able to hear them out. And I have something that I can share with you called empathy, empowerment, and engagement, which is part of premise of my book. And it was one week of the empowerment space program. And really what we talk about is starting with empathy. I don't know about you guys, but I didn't learn empathy till graduate school. So <laughs> yeah, in graduate school, <laughs> right? Like that's the time you really learn empathy. And so you learn to say, ask someone how they're feeling and actively respect that and say it back to them. But parents sometimes not purposely will say, I think you're feeling this way. I think this is what's happening. Hmm. And it's really important to give the child or the adolescent an opportunity to tell you how they're feeling. Because even in that, I'm wondering if you're feeling scared. I'm wondering if you're feeling nervous. I'm wondering if you're feeling like you're upset right now. But you want to give them the chance to tell you if that's true. And that gives them the first sense of their power back by being able to tell you what they're feeling. Because remember, by the time a parent is probably hearing about this, their child is very low in their self-esteem, mm. right? So they're not in a place of feeling like they have a lot of power. The next thing that I really encourage is empowering your child. So what that means is talking to them about scenarios that have happened and how they want to handle it moving forward. So if there's a social media situation where they find out someone's been saying stuff in a private Snapchat group and they're very upset about it, how do they want to handle it? Do they want to talk to this person and give their friend an opportunity to tell them how they're feeling? Do they want to carefully respond on social media, which I would recommend not doing, <laughs> then be used against you again, now that it's something's already been used against you? But how do they want to handle it? Do you want to role play these particular situations and how you can handle it? And the parents actually provide a sense of guidance in what to do. They don't tell them what to do or how to do things, but they guide so that they feel more comfortable doing it themselves and still have the support of their parents by them. And then I have something called the engagement process, which is the follow-up. Because as we know with bullying, it, it stops and it starts and it goes and stops again. So you want to follow up. And if the plan needs some tweaking, you need to go back and change it, you will. But what the child will see at this point is there is a parent there who can guide them and support them and help them and may not get it right the first time, but is there to really practice and try and believes in them and really supports them and is hearing them. That's yeah. the other piece is really listening to them and what they're going through. And I don't know about you, but just the fact that someone can really hear you is huge yeah. and change. Yeah. No, yeah. that's great. And even just kind of taking those in order in terms of my thoughts, you were talking about empathy and talk and asking how is it that you're feeling. And yes. even when you were saying that, I was thinking that's, and I'm a counselor, but 
even that yeah. I'm thinking that's so interesting yeah. because, you know, you might say, well, okay, you're angry or you're, you know, whatever it is, but they might be scared. If it's physical bullying, they might be more embarrassed. They might be more frustrated. They might be more confused. Right. So mm-hmm. instead of kind of assuming you're coming at it from the same place that I would, uh, mm-hmm. when, or back when I experienced bullying or whatever it was, okay, what is it that you're feeling? Cause there's different ways mm-hmm. to navigate different emotions and different, you know, so even that part I think is helpful. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. That's really giving good. them their voice back as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I'd like to add about schools, because we did talk a little bit about schools uh-huh. and how parents can address that too. The way that I would address a school is very carefully, and I'll tell you why. And I tell this to people. I just did this the other day with a few different people. Um, so when you go to a school, you want and you you know there's a bullying problem, right? Which is what you asked once it's already established. You want to ask to see their actual contract against bullying. They must have something in writing that says, this is how we handle bullying at our school. Like I said to you earlier, I went to a school a few weeks ago that said, here's what we do about bullying. One, two, three, and it's very well listed. You want to see their contract on bullying and what they do. And then you want to ask about what kind of programs they're actually doing in their school because that says a lot also. Sometimes what happens in schools is there's worksheets that they just fill out about bullying. Other times you have speakers that come in and actually talk to different groups of kids and teachers and parents and really do a full program. So it's really important to learn the kind of culture that the school has against bullying and what they really do about it. That Mm. will give the parents a lot of information. And then it's really important not to have the principal bring in the bullied victim and the bully together with their parents or the two kids together. And when I tell people this, they look at me and think I'm crazy at first. And then I take them through why that's not the case. And I say to them very clearly, I say, what's going to happen next? I had a parent once say to me, oh, I'm going to go to that baseball team and I'm going to go talk to that coach and he's going to stop bothering my kid on the team and then we won't have problems anymore and it's all going to be better. And I said, well, tell me what's going to happen next. He's like, what do you mean? It's going to stop because I talked to the coach. It's great. And I took him through the process of the fact that your kid is now being set up to be re-victimized and they're just going to be more careful about it. And the same thing happens all the time with principals, too. They think that they're doing the right thing by bringing the two kids in or the two kids and their parents in together, and it ends up creating a situation for re-victimization for the bully. It is not, I'm saying, for you not to go talk to the teachers, because the parents can go and have a conversation, but in terms of how it's resolved with the kids, I think has to be looked at very, very differently. What I see works for bullies, because I get asked that a lot, well, what do you do about the bully? is giving them a positive role, showing them to be a positive role model in situations. There's one program that goes out and does something called solution-focused teams where there's a school counselor who brings in, um, I don't know if you've heard of it before, the solution-focused teams, but the school counselor will bring in the the kid who's doing the bullying and some of the bystanders who are part of it and talk about the victim's situation and the victim's given permission. And usually if they know they're not in trouble, and that's one of the first things you tell them, then they go ahead and they calm down and they actually work very proactively to help the situation. And evidence-based practices have shown that really works. Tremendous mm. help with the bully. Yeah. So it's, it sounds like the, you know, let's get them both in a room and talk through it. That is thinking of it more along kind of a conflict resolution, right? And you made that distinction uh-huh. earlier, like we can uh-huh. sort through this and then we'll resolve it, right? But that's not kind of the dynamics in play here. So it makes sense that maybe that isn't the best option. 
Right. And the solution focused team, the first two sessions don't have the victim in it until there's been some progress and change. And usually by the third final session, the victim and the bully are together in a room and they say, well, what do you want to see different? What can the victim do differently? And usually unless they're a sociopathic child, it really works well and can change things. And so that's what they're seeing a lot right now is positive results with how to address a bully. Hmm. That's really good. Yeah, that's good. Well, and even just thinking about having that list of how schools approach bullying, you know, Mm -hmm. that's something I never even thought of. We have Mm -hmm. a a six-year-old daughter and thankfully this isn't something we've had to uh, come across quite yet to our knowledge, but, but that's something I never even thought about, like asking the school about, you know, their approach to this. That's Mm -hmm. good. That's really good. Yeah. Well, um, one of the things, so I'm really glad that you unpacked the empathy, empowerment, and engagement and, and dove into some of that. But I also was thinking that many of us might assume that sometimes if our kids are involved in any way, shape, or form, that certainly like they would be the victim. Like if our kids are involved, then they're the victim. But what about how do we respond to the individuals that are doing the bullying or like if our kids are engaging in the bullying behavior, what would your recommendations be for that? So what you're talking about is the bystanders that are mm-hmm. with the bully. So they, so there's all sorts of bystanders. There's the neutral bystanders. There's the active bystander, who, which you're talking about, who goes along and teases with the bully. And then you have the positive bystander who stands up to the for the victim. And guess what you're going to see most of the time? They're going to be neutral bystanders. I'll start with that because that's the most popular one right now. Kids don't want to get involved. And I guarantee they're either friends with both the bully and the victim or they don't want to become the target of the bullying. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. they want to just stay quiet. So what I say for the neutral bystanders is you still have a voice. I've talked to high school students about this a lot because they'll have both be friends with a bully and a victim and then they're in the middle and they want to be neutral and they don't want to get involved to be the target or cause more problems for them. So I said you still have a voice. And what that means is maybe not at that moment you can't save face, but when you're, the bully and the victim walk away from each other, you can ask the victim how they're doing. Do they want to talk? Are they okay? And you can still use your voice in a positive way to help a kid who's being bullied. If you're going along, as you were saying initially, with doing the bullying, then I think when if a school can say we have a bullying issue, the best way to address it is not one-on-one, but to do discussion groups and to have kids in there and maybe doing some role plays and just talking about bullying as a whole to get the message across. I never want to just target one kid that works exactly against them. Hmm. Yeah, which is interesting because yeah, then sense. that that the bully, if you're targeting kind of one kid, then maybe they feel uh-huh. like a victim or, or they're being personally uh-huh. attacked or whatever, uh-huh. right? So that might even feed into, well, now I'm more angry or, or things like that. That's which, right. That's right. And we didn't we didn't touch on this, but I guess it gets to kind of what drives some of this bullying behavior in, in uh-huh. the first place, right? Because that's kind of one of uh-huh. the main questions. Well, why does this even happen? But uh, do you have any uh-huh. data or ideas on, on what causes a lot of this? Yeah. What I always say when I present is kids don't like what's different to them. As adults, we appreciate differences in our friends, you know, and what's different, whether it's a child who is part of the LGBT community, a child who's transgender, you know, socioeconomic, cultural differences, just as examples. But some people and some kids don't like differences in other children, and they pick on them because they don't understand them. 
The other possibility sometimes is that there's role modeling going on at home to bully, whether it's a sibling to another sibling or a parent and a child, that can be also where they get it from. Yeah, no, that makes absolute perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. (sighs) It's so, it's so hard. It's just such Uh a, you know, I'll be honest, it's such a hard topic because I do know that this happens. And this is, you know, one of the things about this topic is it is not something that we can take lightly or, you know, Uh certainly I'm sure you've seen in your work that it's not something that, you know, it has a quick and easy response. um, Uh And that in a lot of cases we're seeing, you know, this creates life and death situations for some mm-hmm. kids too with bullying. Mm-hmm. So, so I really, I mean, I just want to pause at least just to applaud you for doing this work and recognizing um, how heavy and severe that it is. Um, so, yes. yeah. You, and you mentioned a really good point about suicide and bullying. And what yeah. I've even learned more recently is it's just a factor in bullying uh, suicide. It's actually not the cause. And I always want to make that clear because I will see articles sometimes that say it's the cause for bullying and it's actually just a symptom of it. Usually there's other mental health issues that are going on at the same time. So, and it doesn't make it any better and I'm not justifying it, but I just want to be clear on the differences there. Yeah, yeah. no, yeah. that makes no, I'm really glad sense. you said that because I yes, do a lot of suicide you. prevention trainings uh-huh. and stuff yeah. and I always uh-huh. get asked specifically about that. And I always say, listen, there's no one, it's not like a direct, you That's know, right. So, yeah, yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yep. No, that's good. And I certainly did not want to <laughs> insinuate that that's that direct link. But I do know that there it is a severe um, topic. Absolutely. So, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So one interesting thing you, you mentioned there, maybe uh, seeing some modeling at home and that being an influence. Mm-hmm. And that gets back to, I think, some of the engagement part on the other side of what does the child want to do? Uh, and I've, I've listened to you on other podcasts and things, and you've talked a lot about kind of a, a parent's first response of I'm going to run up to the school and yell at everyone or, or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And how the parent or the guardians, their own kind of stuff gets in the way of what's best for the child. Can you talk some about like examples of that and, and some of those dynamics? Well, I think what happens in schools when they, when schools want to go, parents want to go talk to schools, because I think that's what you're really asking me about is how do they approach them and when they do, they're usually, what I encourage is don't go in angry. I just heard a story the other day where a parent went in, you know, really intensely. And when you go in in a very defensive manner, you're not going to get what you want. You want to always look at the bigger pictures. We want my child to feel safe and happy at school. How can I make that happen? And the best way to really look at that is how do we join each other and work with the school to make that happen? I've had some really nice conversations with like a vice principal and a dean before where I go in and they're always a little on the defense. Like, why is she here? You know, as a bullying expert, like, why do you need her here? And then I try to relax them with something like at one school recently or a couple not too long ago, there was a speaker that's a friend of mine who went in and spoke on bullying. And so I said to them, oh, you had so-and-so here speaking. They're wonderful. So I knew they already had a real supportive community for against bullying. And with the end of that conversation, they were much more workable with me and much more open. Um, and sometimes I have wonderful teachers who will actually say to me, uh, what are some of the skills you're learning in your program that I can use those buzzwords in my classroom, you know, to help them understand and cope. So when a first-time parent goes in, it's really important to go in carefully 
and knowing what the bigger picture is that you want accomplished and how you're going to get there. And sometimes I've had calls from parents saying, hey, I've already done all that. Now I want you to come in as the big bad bullying expert and really tell the school what to do, right? And I'll say no. Oh, man. I won't do it because that's not how I believe in working in our community. I believe in a a collaborative process that we work together because we're going to get more results working together than against each other. Mm, Yeah. And that even requires some aspect of like, hey, I'm going to put my own stuff aside because if it's my kid, I might say, Mm -hmm. well, I'm angry. What's going to make me Mm -hmm. feel better is if I go in there yelling, right? But that Mm -hmm. isn't what's best for the child. So like, hey, can I put my stuff aside and really focus on what would be best for the child and things like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I really, really recommend, I talk a lot about that in my book to really approach every situation very carefully and not with intensity. I guarantee you that will not work. Yeah. yeah. Which I will, I'll um, recommend the book for folks. I think I've, I've read it and it's a, it's a great easy read. I mean, I think it's very understandable and very applicable, uh, especially with the three E's and everything like that. So I'll just toss a little recommendation in there. Thank yeah. you. Thank yeah. you. And we'll definitely have that link in our show notes too, so that folks can find it. Great. Um, well, a lot of our audience includes a mix of faith leaders and mental health care providers, but I'm thinking specifically of like youth pastors or teachers that are in the audience. What steps could those folks take in terms of, or, or what can they do to try to reduce the risk of bullying that might be happening within their communities? So I suggest bringing someone in to talk about bullying. I really Mm. think it's important, even into the community, coming into a church, coming into a temple, coming in anywhere to talk about it. They always have speakers and special things where parents can come in and do that. And sometimes what I'm seeing works better is even doing something maybe on a weeknight or a Sunday, you know, it just depends. And sometimes online is actually something I'm seeing that people feel better doing because they don't have to drive somewhere and they can do it very closely. Or the other thing that we're doing in our community right now is having speakers come to people's homes. So that's a very actual safer place to be. We're going to be doing some presentations in homes coming up for one of the groups I'm part of. And we're going to go in and do speaking on different topics with, with families in the community. And I think sometimes parents feel more ready and willing to come to someone's home to have a conversation about bullying and people they know versus going maybe sometimes to a school or an office building per se. So yeah. that may be a way to build that discussion in the community. That's yeah. what I would suggest. That's and, good. Yeah, and it sounds like maybe even doing that kind of proactively as opposed to, well, we've had this problem, so now we have to react yes, to it. But on the yes, front end, yes. how do we shape this community so that there's less of a yes. chance of these things? I I love that you said that, Robert, because I think that's so important because what I see a lot of is reactivity and very little at times proactivity. And so we can get that on the proactive side and get, you know, programs in to communities and talking about it and having education, we can better handle situations when they arise. Yeah. And I would imagine that even in that instance, there's less kind of emotional reactivity wrapped up in mm-hmm. things. Because if you have it on the mm-hmm. back end, then people are coming in, half of them are mad, half are, you know, so yeah, having it on the front end of we're just talking mm-hmm. about this as a whole, again, not, you know, directed at someone or even maybe subliminally directed at someone, right? Maybe it, it would yes. come across better and be more open to that. Yes, I would absolutely recommend that if if possible, because then there is less reactivity and then there's a better plan and play. So everybody feels more comfortable Mm. and safe. Yeah, that's great. That's good. 
Well, one thing I guess I was just thinking of too. Mm-hmm. So we focused very much on on younger kids when it comes to bullying, and we've talked a little bit about high schoolers too. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would like to just create a space just to shift thinking about maybe young adults and what bullying looks like as they get older. Perhaps they didn't experience this as much when they were younger, um, but especially as you were talking about, you know, the social types of bullying and online. What recommendations might you have for those for for young adults or for creating, you know, again, it could be tied to pastors or community members and how they support, but but I'm thinking specifically for those young adults who experience bullying. And I'm thinking about this because I, I'm a, a professor at uh, a university. And mm-hmm. so I think about college students mm-hmm. and um, and things that they might be experiencing. So, yeah, I, yeah. Just ta- I just talked to some graduate students a couple weeks ago. And I do see it in so young adulthood. I see clients in my practice who actually have had bullying. And what I see that happens to them is they can be very suspended, suspended to move on with relationships, to move on professionally, because they still feel like that young bullied victim. So I'm always suggesting therapy because I do think therapy could really help to give them coping skills to deal with things when they come up now. Sometimes bullying can come up like PTSD where there's a lot of trauma and you get triggered and sometimes you don't even see your triggers coming and then you can start to feel really insecure and not good about yourself. So you really want to get coping skills to be able to address that when it happens. I've had people come up to me at conferences, adults, who said they're still experiencing bullying now because it can be a really, really hard time and they remember it. And, you know, even thinking back, you know, thinking about middle schools where I see a lot of the issues right now, too, with social media and relational and being left out of things, those types of bruises and scars kids remember in young adulthood and they remember how they were treated or how people talked to them. And it's very hard to move forward unless you get some help and coping skills to be able to do that. Mm, yeah, I love that That's you really mentioned bruises because I've, I've with a couple of clients, I've mentioned kind of the same topic of like, hey, if there is a, a wound that you received at some point, then even later on, if somebody pokes you there, it's going to hurt more than poking somewhere else, right? So being aware of yeah. those things and identifying those triggers and kind of your reactions mm-hmm. and why is it that that hurts more, you know, rejection hurts more or things like yeah. that, you know, and I think that's a, a perfect analogy there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really good. Well, thank you so much. Well, if you would like to connect with Danielle, you can find her at D Matthew empower on Twitter or on Facebook at facebook.com slash the empowerment space, or you can find her at uh, empowerment.space or by the empowered child on Amazon that we talked about earlier. Um, You can also get more information by calling, uh, Danielle provides her number at 818-267-4282 or by emailing her um, at dmatthew at empowerment.space. We'll provide all of those links in our show notes um, for sure. And that's that's fine with you that we share those, right? Because they're on the website. Those aren't like your home phone number. (laughs) Very happy. Um, Thank you. Yes. And you may connect with uh, Robert on any social media platform at Robert Bohr or at robert-bohr.com. You can find me on Twitter at hollyoxhandler or at hollyoxhandler.com. Danielle, thank you so much for your time, your willingness to come and chat with us today about this topic. Do you have any closing thoughts or any last bits of advice that you want to provide our audience? 
Yeah, I want everyone to know that you don't have to feel hopeless about bullying. There is hope out there and there's skills and ways to learn to not feel like you have to be so alone in the world. And as much passion as I have to changing the world, I really do believe we can go from hopeless to hopeful. That's so beautiful. Thank you. Well, thank you for your time this afternoon. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to the CXMH podcast. Want to score some major brownie points? Leave us five stars and an honest review on iTunes. Follow us on social media at CXMH podcast and email us with questions, comments, and interview requests at CXMH podcast at gmail.com. A final note. If you're in a dark place today, struggling with suicidal thoughts, you are not alone. Professional help is available 24-7 at 1-800-273-8255.